0: Well, hey there, if um, I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Chris, I'm one of the pastors here, and for the last five and a half years, I've been uh, full-time here, and uh, moving forward, I'll be less than that. Uh, but the good news is for, for most of you, nothing will change. I, I will still be up here teaching the same amount of times. If you come to one of those two Bible studies, uh, I will still be there for those. Um, however, if you're trying to get a hold of me for something else, get a hold of someone else, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, today is one of the many days, uh, in the, in the church world that has its own special funny name. Uh, Bill mentioned it a couple times. It's called Palm Sunday. If you, like me, grew up in a church where people in robes sang and that sort of thing, on this day, uh, your parents sent you down the aisles waving palm fronds. Anybody ever do that before? Yeah. I, as I was preparing the sermon, I just, I couldn't get over the thought, where do you get those? Like, is there a palm frond store that I don't know about? Is there like a special like mail order catalog for churches that doesn't come to my door? Because part of me thought, that would be funny if I had one. And I was like, I, I don't know. Where, where would I get a palm frond? So, um, But this is a week where we have a lot of, of funny named days. So we've got Palm Sunday. And then we're going to have Maundy Thursday. And we'll have Good Friday. Eventually we have Easter um, And so I want to talk a little bit, because we don't always know what that means. And so today we're going to talk about why would today be referred to as Palm Sunday. Um, It is one of the things that we we commemorate, we remember, in order to get ready for Easter. So Easter is one week away. Um, In my house, we get a daily countdown from my kids, who literally will ask every day, how many days till Easter? You know, it started with like, I don't know, 18, you know, and then the next day, how many days till Easter? 18 minus one is 17, you know, and and it keeps going, and it's because my kids are so eager to worship and praise our risen Lord. (laughs) That is totally why they keep asking. No, that's not true at all. The real reason, you maybe would think it's candy. It's not. If you've been around an Easter service at Ascent very many times, you know that Easter Ascent means live bunnies. And my kids spend all year, last year we couldn't do it because of COVID and they were crestfallen, like heartbroken, sweet little girls because they weren't. The, year, the last year we had it, one of them bit a hole through one girl's shirt and peed on the other one. But they still want the bunnies, and the bunnies will be back, can confirm. Uh, So we look forward to seeing you guys along with um, some some of God's fluffiest creations next Sunday. Um, But that's coming, right? Today today is Palm Sunday. So let's get some context, because I'm going to read the story in the Bible that is going to explain the palms, and then I'll break that down. But I want you to know what's happened before that. So we are um, approaching the very end of Jesus' uh, public ministry on earth, and he has just performed one of his trademark miracles, which is the very public raising of a man named Lazarus from the dead. And as you might imagine, he's been getting some publicity based upon that. There are a lot of people who are, who are flocking towards Jesus, right? Right? so many so that it has actually made him quite unpopular with the folks who those people used to flock towards. So the kind of religious leadership, the Pharisees, we call them, the scribes, the elders, in what has always seemed like one of the most perplexing parts of the Bible to me, they literally, they, they were there, they saw a man who'd been dead for three days come back to life, and what do they do? They plot to kill him again, right? Because they see all these people following Jesus because Lazarus is alive. And so they have a little secret clandestine meeting and they say, we're gonna kill that guy because people are being led away from us. But it actually goes a little bit deeper than that too. The people of of Israel are an occupied people. The great world power of the time is Rome, Rome has conquered their country and has held them under their power, has subjected them for many years. And Rome, I don't know if you've ever heard this, was not super gentle to those whom they conquered. They are especially reticent to allow any single kind of person to create a very large group of followers who are in expectation of something and that is exactly what is happening. So you do have, you have the kind of the religious leaders of Israel, they're both jealous that the attention they used to get, that the control and power that they once held is now being challenged by somebody else who the people are more interested in. They are also concerned that this is going to draw the ire of Rome and bring about the, the total disillusion of the system that they have, right? So, they've been oppressed by Rome, they've been taxed, they've been destroyed, and now Jesus is doing these amazing things and drawing really big crowds, and so he is now a wanted man, and he knows it, so he goes on the down low. He's actually hiding out in a small town called Ephraim. Um, He's not moving around publicly. He's avoiding the crowds because he knows I am in very real danger. Now, at the same time, the biggest event of the year is happening in Jerusalem. There are tens of thousands of people traveling from all around the ancient Near East to get to Jerusalem for something called the Passover festival. And it's kind of the biggest party of the year, but it's also one of their most significant religious holidays. And the Passover remembers and celebrates the way that God led the Hebrew people out of oppression in Egypt. So they had a foreign power who had total control over their lives. Sounds a little familiar, right? Right now, there is a foreign power who has complete control over the lives of the people in Israel. So everybody is gathering in huge numbers, tens of thousands of people to remember the time that God acted dramatically to defeat and destroy the indefeatable global power at the time. It's a loaded situation, you may say. So they're all there and they are waiting and they're wondering, is this Jesus guy gonna show up? Because if there was going to be a great time to start a revolution, this is that time. So the people are in the city, they're murmuring, they're wondering, is he gonna come? Is he gonna come? And that's how we get this story. So let me read to you from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. It says this, The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay, so um, get the, you got to get the image in your mind here. Jesus is entering Jerusalem from a place called the Mount of Olives. So he's coming from way up high, right? And he's walking down. And so you're gonna, people could have seen him and his entourage coming from a long ways off. And this is what you would call a dramatic entrance, right? You know, like this is how a king enters a city. They start shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of Lord, the king of Israel. The people, uh, you got to understand the people in this crowd are not at this moment confused about who they think Jesus is and what they think is happening. When they start cutting those palm branches down, that's, that is a royal entrance. That was an act that was reserved just for royalty. It's the, uh, it's the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of rolling out the red carpet, right? It's throwing down, you know, um, one of the other gospels will tell you that people are taking their coats off and putting those down on the road in front of Jesus on this donkey. The reason he's on the colt of a donkey is because in the Hebrew scriptures, there have been prophecies saying that when this person that they called the Messiah came, Messiah means anointed one, only the king, uh, basically only the king was anointed. This is, again, a royal figure. That this is what is going to happen. They believe that this prophecy is being filled and that Jesus is coming as their new king and that he is coming in power. And they have waited so long for this moment. And now they think that their waiting is over. The expectation of those along that street who are throwing out those fronds is that pomp, fronds, fronds, um, is that Jesus is coming to kick Caesar's butt, right? He's coming to fight. He's coming to set us free. That is the expectation. So when we look at this story, I see it basically as having two characters. One of them is a collective character. So you got Jesus. And then you have this crowd. So, I want to talk about about it in kind of two parts. Let's talk about this crowd first. So, you have tens of thousands of people. Some of them live there, many of them have traveled very far to be present uh, for this festival. And they're waiting, and they're waiting for lots of things. They're waiting for the festival to begin right? It is a festival. They're going to have a good time. Uh, These are largely subsistence farmers, mostly vegetarian, but on Passover, you get to eat lamb, and so they are pumped about the meal that's coming. They're waiting for the festival to happen. They're waiting for this powerful reminder that their God is a God who saves and who delivers. It's a God who overthrows oppression, a God who does not forget them and never will. See, Passover is the story of this group of people in the past being saved dramatically, physically, in power from a very powerful enemy who had oppressed them. And these are people who are presently oppressed. For generations, they have lived with the expectation that God's plan was to do it again in the same way it had happened before. That the Messiah would come as a warrior who would bring them freedom from Rome for generations they have waited for this moment. They long to be saved. And they have been longing for a very long time. They want to be free from Rome. And I think on a different level, all of us know what it's like to long to be saved. Now, it may not be from from something like the empire that was Rome. It's not centurions with swords and silly hats that we want freedom from, that we want to be saved from. But I know that if you were to ask me in a serious moment, are there things that I need to be saved from, I would have a few answers for you. Some of them are silly, but most of them aren't. And for those ones that aren't, the things that hurt and have felt like they've lingered in our lives for too long, it's hard to wait. These people welcome Jesus as the end of their waiting. They cut palm leaves, they shout Hosanna, but at the end of the week, this same crowd, these same people, Instead of cheering and praising and waving their hands to their long awaited king, the same people are going to be gathered together again, and this time they are going to be shouting, Crucify. These same people are going to be asking that Jesus be executed. That is a really big shift to make in five days. Which leaves the question how can that happen? And I think it has everything to do with how very, very hard it is to wait. I feel like nobody understands um, how hard it is to wait better than kids and maybe mine in particular. Um, I I think if you like recorded all the words that were said in our house over a given week, this would be uh, the the phrasing you would hear most often. Ready? Dad, 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 excuse me, excuse me. Dad, dad, hey, dad, dad mom, 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 hey, mom, 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 hey, mom, excuse me, mom, 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 right? Anybody, ever? have you ever heard that before? Has that ever happened? I guarantee you, some of you are gonna try to talk to me out there and it's going to happen while you try to talk to me after this service. So my kids are not experts at patience. Um, And whenever they start shouting like that, it's always from the furthest room in the house from wherever I am, and it will be right when I've started doing something that needs my continual attention. And so, but it keeps going, so eventually you get up, and you walk up the stairs, and you go around the hall, and you walk up more stairs. I don't actually have more stairs, but it makes the story better. Um, And then you get to where they are. And I'm like, yes, darling, what do you need? Because that's how I talk to my kids. And, And then they go, oh, uh uh, I forgot, um, oh, yeah, oh, no, so what I was wondering, um, because, well, uh, we'll see what happened was, and then, and then Holly at school, she said, um, but, but then maybe we could, after later, go, but I was wondering, and, uh, it takes a long time to get to the point when you're six, apparently, um, and so I find myself up there, and I'm like, what, because it turns <laughs> out, uh, they learned their patience from me, uh, it's hard to wait, right? I, um, on Thursday, was supposed to get a, a laser uh, vision correction surgery. Um, and I'd been waiting a long time for that. Uh, my wife gave that to me as a gift for my 40th birthday uh, because this is the part of life where you, you gift elective surgery to one another. And, uh, and it took me a long time to get it scheduled. And uh, at my last pre-op, they gave me a big packet, and they're like, read all this, it's very important. So of course, I waited till the night before the surgery to read it. And that's when I found out I was supposed to have not worn my contacts for the previous three days. Uh, And so I had to call sheepishly uh, at 8 a.m. when the office opened. I was supposed to get shot in the face with a laser at 9 a.m. So not a lot of notice here to say, I need to reschedule. (laughs) So now I get to wait two more weeks before someone shoots me in the face with a laser, which um, I'm excited about but also eager to have it behind me. Um, It's hard to wait. I don't want to wait. Do you remember back in the days before Amazon Prime, where you would order something and then have, to, and it didn't like magically appear? For, a drone didn't drop it down your chimney the second after you clicked "Buy Now." Do you remember that? When I was a kid, I used to get Ranger Rick magazine, which was like a little boy magazine. I think it had something to do with Cub Scouts. I don't really remember, but you could order stuff in the back. I ordered a 99 accessory pocket knife (laughs) through the back of ranger rick magazine one time it it was it was this wide like it had scissors and stuff i didn't even know what it was and i I remember you had to fill out a form and then get your parents to write a check and then put it in the mail and mail it in and it said we'll arrive in eight to twelve weeks can you imagine waiting twelve weeks to get something no it's going to show up tomorrow thank you for amazon prime i've gotten worse at patience it's hard to wait it's hard to wait you know the day before you go on a really big trip that you've been looking forward to and you've been like working hard to get everything ready and you're like ready to go and you're like oh can I just get on the plane it's hard to wait my mind is already in that other place I know that many of you know right now what it's like to wait for the insurance company to just do the right thing. That you have been waiting and waiting and life is more upside down than it's ever felt and all you want is to feel like I'm making progress. I'm taking steps towards being home again. And there's somebody so far away who doesn't know you who is in the way. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait when all you want is to find that person to spend your life loving and who's going to love you in return. And it has just taken so much longer than you thought to get to that moment. It's hard to wait. When your heart longs for a child, someone to serve and care and love, And you keep going to doctor's appointments and getting different shots and taking different pills and running more tests. Or you keep having more interviews and home studies and waiting and waiting and waiting for something that feels like it is so selfless. I just want to take care of someone else. I want to give my life to someone else and I just have to wait and wait and it is so hard to wait. When they've taken the biopsy, And they've put it in a vial, and they've sent it off to some lab somewhere to do something. And you have to wait to find out what's it going to say. What's that going to mean? What's that going to mean for my life? What's that going to mean for my family's life? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. When they've taken her back behind those swinging doors for that scan to find out if it's growing again, and you sit in that uncomfortable waiting room, and you just wonder, what's going to happen? And what am I going to do? It's hard to wait. Proverbs uh, is a book in the Old Testament that it's a collection of wise sayings that have all been pressed together. And Proverbs 13, 12 says this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. That rings true for me. We hang on to hope. We hang on. We're waiting. God's going to come through. I'm hanging on. And I keep hanging. My heart gets sick. And so what do we do then? I don't know what you do, but I find pretty often I I find a way to make it hurt less. To not have to hold on so tight. Because I think sometimes when hope has been deferred for too long, when we have had to wait for too long, we settle. We say, well, I guess this is just as good as it gets. This is what it's like. This is what the leaders in Israel have done. They have settled, right? They want to keep what, they understand we're oppressed, but we have a modicum of control. It's passable. And this Jesus guy is getting in the way. He's going to get us in trouble. He's taking from me what little bit of power and authority I have. They want to settle. What they have chosen is a tolerable oppression. And they say, you know what? Not like this. I'll keep waiting. I will keep waiting to be saved on my terms. And then here comes Jesus, riding on the colt of a donkey, just like our prophecies had said the king would come. The people are flocking to him. They are throwing palms on the ground. So this Sunday, on that Sunday, these people praise him and they they lay their palms on his path. But on Friday, they're going to curse him. On Friday, the people will settle. They too will choose a tolerable oppression. And to tell you the truth, I do this too. You know, this is right in my bread basket. One minute I can can stand right over there and raise my hands and sing along, saying that the battle belongs to God, right? I can raise my voice in the very next minute. I can change my mind. I take it back. I get frightened off by what that might mean or I get consumed with the thought that, you know what, actually there's something else that'll be an easier route. This will be a better path for me. Let me go chase after that thing. Palm Sunday invites me and I think it invites all of us to search deeply within our souls and say, if I was there that week, what words would have been on my lips? Would I be singing on Sunday or would I be cursing on Friday? Or would I be doing both? See, in the end, the crowds in Jerusalem, they wanted a king who was going to work for them. They wanted a king that was going to give them what they wanted. And they had some reason to think that might happen. Jesus had fed thousands of people who were hungry. He had healed people who were terminally ill. He had even raised someone from the dead in their presence. And they wanted more of that. But see, Jesus, Jesus wanted so much more. The people want a king to bring power to this kingdom. But Jesus wants to deliver them into an entirely different one. That's where the crowd is at. Now let's talk about the other character in our story. Because then you also have Jesus, right? And I, I think it's important when we read the Bible sometimes to really capture our imaginations and ask questions about the characters. And so I want you thinking about this. What is Jesus thinking As he goes through this crowd that is screaming his name, that is calling him king, that is throwing this royal reception for him, what is going through his mind? Like, put yourself in that moment, right? It's you on the donkey. You are riding through a group of people who are chanting your name. But you know what's coming. You have no lack of knowledge about what the next week means for you. So you know, as you hear them shouting your name in praise, you know that one of your closest friends is going to betray you and sell you out. You know that armed men are going to show up under cover of night so that the crowds can't see them to arrest you. You know that you're going to go to a sham trial where you are still going to be found innocent, but you are going to be punished as though you were guilty anyways. And you know that you are walking towards your execution. Because you see, Jesus knows all of those facts as he rides that donkey through this crowd. They are cheering and praising him, but he knows that those same faces, those same voices, will be screaming to have him crucified just five days later. What do you think Jesus feels in that moment? Because I got a pretty good idea what I would feel. This is uh, Luke chapter 19, 41 through 44, and it gives us some insight into what Jesus is feeling. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone set on another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Can you see this? If I'm in that moment knowing what these people are going to do to me, I am only upset. I'm incredulous. And Jesus weeps for them not for himself. He's not weeping for what's coming down the, down the pipe for him. He weeps for them. You see, this is a prediction of something that is going to happen. It's going to happen about 40 years later. A Roman general named Titus is going to roll into Jerusalem after there had been an insurrection. He's going to build a giant embankment around the walls, and the armies of Rome are going to pour into Jerusalem, and they are going to take every single stone off another in the temple. This is really going to happen. Jesus calls it. See, the people, they wanted a king who would work for them, a God who would do whatever they wanted. And most of the time, I want that same God. A God who will work for me, who will give me what I want. The problem then, and it remains the problem today, is that we often don't actually know what to want. Jesus says, if only you had known on this day, what would bring you peace? And then he weeps. See, peace, I think, I think at the root of it, that is the thing that we long for most. That is what we want. It takes a million different forms in each person's lives, and there are so many things that we can get caught up and feel like if I can just get that, if I can succeed here, if I can accomplish there, then I will feel peace. Like, we, we, we get focused on it. We want those things, and all too often we want the wrong thing. Because see, there's this deep part inside of every human soul I am convinced that just knows something isn't quite right. Something inside me is in discord. I'm just off by a little tiny bit. And we try to cover it up, right? We We joke more, we work harder, we act cooler, we trade out relationships in our lives. It doesn't matter what it is, the people in Jerusalem thought that they would find peace when God removed Rome. They thought that peace comes when God removes all of the problems in my life. But that is not when peace comes. We don't find peace by having all of our problems taken away. I'm pretty convinced that we only find peace by trusting Jesus. It's in trust. We submit ourselves to Him and we go where He goes. And the problem with going where Jesus goes is that He doesn't often take the road that leads away from our problems. He generally takes the road that walks through them. you got to remember, Jesus knows he's riding that donkey straight to the cross. And listen, that journey that we go on with Jesus is a long one because submitting yourself to Jesus doesn't mean that all of your problems immediately disappear. There is no version of the human life that is free from problems. And anybody who promises you that is trying to sell you something. But there is a pathway that leads to peace. And it's the pathway that follows Jesus into deep trust. We were all made by God. We have all been made specifically to be in relationship with God. And without God, we will never find peace. So I want to invite the band to come on back up. I'm almost done here. But I want to close with this because there is a piece of incredibly good news. I don't want to like just say, "Yep, it's going to get harder," and that's what you're supposed to do, right? That's not a great way to end a sermon. Um, here's the good news: It's because Jesus sees you, He sees me, He sees us searching for peace. He sees us getting caught up and focused on the wrong things. He sees us being lost out there. He sees us chasing and chasing and chasing, right? And this is what I love. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't roll his eyes at his dense-headed followers. No, he, he, he weeps. Our heart hurts, our life hurts, and Jesus hurts for us because that is true. He weeps because he loves you so much that he cannot bear to see you in that place. And because of that, Jesus gives us a chance every single day to get onto that pathway that leads to peace, to stop chasing after kings who promise to remove all of our troubles and to turn our hearts towards a king who will walk with us through the heart of them. So let me close with a few more of Jesus's words also in John's gospel. They come two chapters later. Our final word today from me is John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26, which says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not let them be afraid. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for today. God, I thank you that in the midst of pain and trial and heartache and tribulation, that there remains a way forward for each of us that leads towards peace, God, I pray that you would lead us in that way. It's in your name.